Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Thank you for joining us for another Thursday edition where we um, have the privilege of entertaining your questions. Uh, it's a day that I look forward to uh, for several reasons. Uh, Mary Langston, how are you? I'm great, Trey. How about you? I have no complaints at all. I'm happy to be alive and it's autumn. We can feel it in the air in South Carolina. Uh, I can't because I don't go outside when it's this cold. I let Terry go outside. It's it's, it's freezing. I I can't take the I can't take dogs outside. I can't take the trash out. I mean, it's it's too cold. <laughs> I did have that thought today. I thought, man, if I'm already this cold, what's going to happen when it's twenty degrees? Uh, well, when you're that young and you're already cold, what are you going to do when you're a hundred <laughs> like I am? <laughs> Oh my goodness, Trey. Well, we have a lot of great questions today, so we better get started. Are you ready? I think so. I hope so. Okay, wonderful. Our first question comes from Tony in South Carolina. He writes, I would love to hear your thoughts on the Alex Jones case. Did they have a case? Was this about free speech? And did the judge or jury get it right? Well, you know, Mary Langston, I made a pledge to my to my mom and to my wife that I would try to have extraordinarily clean language mm-hmm. in um, in all of my public uh, comments uh, and private, for that matter. Uh, mm-hmm. Not that I have bad language; every word I use is in the Bible. It's just not necessarily <laughs> in the Bible in the way in which I use it. So I'm going to try to answer a question about Alex Jones. Um, Well, let's do it this way. Uh, First of all, thank you for the question, Tony. I I did address the Alex Jones trial in Texas a couple of weeks ago on our Sunday night TV show. I think telling the parents of a murdered child that their child is not really dead is one of the most reprehensible things a person can do. Mm-hmm. And Alex Jones has a long history of saying things that are not true, but telling parents who had to identify the body of their dead child, parents who had to pick out the casket for their dead child, pick out the clothes that their dead child will wear in a casket, parent who had to who have to visit a marble slab because that is all that remains of their child, telling those parents that they're actors, that the whole thing was staged, is just subhuman. So why should you get rich telling lies that cause pain to other people? Yeah, we have First Amendment right to free speech, but that right, just like every other right that you have, is not without limits. You cannot use words of incitement. You cannot yell fire in a crowded movie theater. You cannot defame people, which means saying, 
something that is false and also causes injury. I cannot say the restaurant that I ate at last night had bugs in the soup when I didn't even eat there. I can't say it if I did eat there. And what I say is not true because it will cause an injury to that restaurant. I cannot tell lies and then profit off of those lies and hope to escape all consequence. So this was a civil trial. Alex Jones is not going to prison for what he said, but he is going to have to pay for intentionally lying and having that cause pain, suffering, and loss to those he lied about. So before I'll leave this question, uh, I want you to think about all the different ways that you go through life trying to avoid hurting people. I mean, we tell folks their kids did great in a piano recital, even though their kids didn't hit a single solitary correct note. We go out of our way to protect children. They are off limits when it comes to most of us. We may want to comment on every other facet of the world, but children are off limits. So how in God's name could a normal human being tell the parents of murdered school children that what they saw when they checked the dead body of their child was a lie. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Alex Jones admitted he was lying <laughs> when he was under oath. I mean, people can say what they want when they're behind a microphone sitting at their studio or at their home. I mean, you can spout all the lies you want. But when you take an oath and it's your own behind on the lie, uh, he told the truth. And the truth was that he lied. He lied to make money. But he finally told the truth when his own money was at stake, and life doesn't work that way. And two juries so far have said so. Well, thank you, Trey, for answering that question. And thank you, Tony, for your question. Our next question is from Elliot in North Carolina. He writes, if the Republicans gain control of the House, do you think they will be able to restore regular order to the appropriation process? Elliot, could they? Yes. Will they? Probably not. Uh, CRs or what we uh, continuing resolutions, which kind of continue the status quo and don't go through what you refer to as regular order. And of course, regular order, for those who may be wondering what that means, the House passes a budget. You have a committee that passes the budget. And you have a separate committee that kind of fills in the blanks, the Appropriations Committee. And there are, what, close to a dozen different approach bills. There's defense. There's uh, there's the bill that funds. It's not just law enforcement. It's, um, uh, it's uh, judiciary and several other facets to it, too. I mean, th there are a dozen different approach bills. Uh, which it kind of explains why I don't think they're going to do it. Um, although I do want to take a little side note to say this, uh, Elliot, the single best way to provide oversight over any government entity or agency is through the appropriations process. It is through what we call regular order. You know, there was a book written a long time ago. Mary Langston probably read it because she's a, wonderful Christian, as you probably do. There's a book about love languages. Of course, I didn't read that book. Um, but if anybody's wondering, my love language would be college sports. 
But the only love language in D.C. is money. I mean, these hearings where people yell and scream, it may make for interesting television or not, but it doesn't change anything. Money is what changes things. So if you want to get any governmental agency's attention, you have to do it with appropriations. The downside of doing it through the normal appropriations process would be the amendments. And by that, I mean, for each of these dozen or so approps bills, there are hundreds of amendments being offered. And almost every one of those amendments is calculated to put members on the other side in tough political spots so campaign ads can be run against them. So I'll give you an example. Let's imagine there was an amendment to cut $50 million from the Department of, Judge, uh, Department of Justice budget because members were not happy with you know, a lack of compliance with requests for information or the FISA process or fill in the blank. I mean, I, I think the Department of Justice has had a really bad six years. Let's assume that there were other members that agreed and said, look, we can't get you to do any of the things we think you ought to do. We control the purse strings. So we're going to cut your budget. Let's assume during the regular order appropriations process, some member introduces an amendment to slash DOJ's budget by $50 million. That's, you know, $50 million is a ton of money uh, to everyone except people in Washington. That, that would be eye-catching, but not disabling. So that amendment's before you. You vote yes on that amendment, and there's a 30-second ad run against you saying that you voted to defund law enforcement. And yes, you're welcome to then spend your own campaign money and try to find everybody who saw that ad and said, no, 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 I didn't vote to defund law enforcement. I, I, I voted to get the FBI's attention because they don't comply with document requests or they won't give us information or they take six years to give us information. Let's assume you vote no. Then there's a 60-second ad being run against you that you're nothing but a shill for the FBI, and you don't care about their problems and their missteps. Now, multiply that times about 1,000. Every one of these approach bills, I, I remember vividly, although I've tried very hard to forget, all-night votes, two-minute votes on amendments for the appropriations bills. And every one of the, I remember sitting by somebody that I really, really, really like serving with during one of these long vote series. Uh, he's a former prosecutor, congressman from Massachusetts named Joey Kennedy. He is liberal by any reasonable person's uh, definition. Uh, I really, really enjoyed talking to him. He's a thoughtful, smart guy. But they had a string of of amendments about about marijuana and legalizing marijuana and joey and i would not agree i don't well not i don't think joey and i would not agree on how to vote on probably the majority of those bills but still i mean any any amendment that has the word marijuana in it if you vote yes then they're going to run ads saying that you want to legalize pot and if you vote no then they're going to say you're a puritan that allows cigarettes and alcohol to be sold but not marijuana. I mean, uh, so yes, that's a long way of saying in a perfect world, the appropriations process is really Congress's um, best use of authority and power, but it has been turned into nothing but a political tool. 
these amendments are solely calculated. I don't want to say solely calculated. They are principally calculated to put the other side in a very tough position because it is all about winning. They want to win the next election. How do I win the next election? I make you vote on a series of things that are going to cost you millions of dollars to explain because I'm going to run an ad mischaracterizing how you voted. So that's a long way of saying, can it be done? Yes. Will it be done? I doubt it. Well, thank you, Trey. And thank you, Elliot, for your question. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Our next question is from William, and he writes, I have practiced law in New York for over 40 years and have appeared before many federal judges. Most let their power speak and don't raise their voice except for when they are misled or lied to by counsel. Where is the FISA judge? Uh, you're right, William. Judges do not like to be misled. Um, they do not tolerate being lied to. When it comes to FISA, I think the judges, of course, these are federal judges that kind of rotate through. They're, they're, they're I don't want to say ordinary Article Three federal judges because there's nothing ordinary about an Article Three federal judge, but these are district court judges that may have special training in national security, and they kind of rotate through and do a stint on the FISA court, which is where you take FISA applications, which is the you know foreign uh, surveillance um, uh, intelligence, supposed to be foreign intelligence surveillance apparatus. Um, the A does not stand for apparatus, but that's what it is. So what's a judge supposed to do? I mean, you can't say, well, I'm not going to hear any more of your applications because I don't like the you know, shoddy process by which you uh, previously made applications. You can't uh, you can't punish the country because some bureau agents uh, or some federal prosecutors did not do their job. Uh, you can insist on certain reforms. You can insist on better procedures. And I would not at all be surprised if that had not already been done. I'd be shocked. Federal judges, as you know, William, do not like to be misled, and the very best prosecutors and agents would never do it. But the judge can't say, I mean, take it out of FISA, just put it in like a regular criminal context. You got a cop that misled you on a search warrant. The judge can't say, well, I'm not going to consider any more search warrants in the future. You can't say that. You got a murder case this day. You have a sexual assault case the next day. You can't say because you did this wrong, I'm not going to consider your search warrants in the future. The same with arrest warrants. They can make changes. Uh, I do remember a letter being written to the FISC, to the FISA court, making sure that they were aware of some of these shortcomings. I think the response I got uh, of course, I mean, I've been gone for a long time. Uh, Devin would know more, better than I would know. But I think initially they weren't all that sure uh, that the process had been poorly handled. I think everyone in the world knows that now. They can issue sanctions. They can say that FBI agent or that prosecutor cannot appear before us anymore. Maybe some of that's already been done. But a judge is not going to hold a press conference. A judge is not going to um, 
uh, engage in politics, whatever discipline or changes or reforms that they can do, I'll bet you they have already done and done it privately. And I think what you're going to see, you know, if Republicans retake the House and or the Senate, you're going to see some changes to the FISA process because uh, FISA is a creation of Congress. It's not like the judges came up with this uh, apparatus or scheme themselves. Congress came up with it. The judges are just doing what they're asked to do. I would not be surprised if you don't see some legislative changes when some of these programs are up for reauthorization. Well, thank you so much, Trey. And thank you, William, for your question. Our last question is from Martin, and he writes, what is the rationale for sentencing a criminal to serve a punishment far beyond a human lifetime, say 900 years? Why not just say a life in prison without the possibility of parole? Well, that's a great question. Um, mm. All states don't have truth in sentencing. So 90 years, I know this question asks about 900 years. I'll get to that in a second. 90 years may mean 20 years in some states. Uh, so imagine uh, a serial rapist is convicted of six different rapes. And the maximum he can get for each of those six is 30 years. Are you going to sentence that serial rapist to 30 years on each and run them concurrent? Um, you got six convictions. The maximum you can get is 30 years. You can run them all concurrent, and he's got to serve 30 years. But what if it's a state where you're parole eligible after half the time? I mean, you really want somebody who's a serial rapist parole eligible after 15 years? So you could do what some judges would do, which is sentence that person to 180 years. That's 30 years times six. I'm pretty sure that's 180. I have to get you to double check me behind that, Mary Langston, but mm -hmm. six, six times 30, 180 years. Well, no one's going to live 180 years, but what choice does he have? I mean, you don't want him parole eligible, so you run them what we call consecutive. There are really only a handful of crimes that carry life in prison as an option. In South Carolina, I can think of two. At least when I was a prosecutor, they may have changed some of that. But only two can a judge say, I sentence you to life. For the rest of them, there's a number. And so you can either do that number concurrently where they all run alongside one another, or you can run them consecutively. And if you run them consecutively, well, I, I did have a rape case. I had a rape case that was presided over by a judge who's now on the South Carolina Supreme Court. And it was a it was a kidnapping, carjacking, and sexual assault. And so let's assume I think two of those are 30 and one of those may have been 20 back in the time. So 30 and 30 and 20 is 80. He could, the judge could have said, I'm going to serve you to 30 sentence you to 30 years. And South Carolina law says you have to serve 85% of it. So 85% of 30 is what, 24 years? He could have done that, but these these defendants were in their 20s, which means they would have been out while they were still younger than the judge was. So that ain't what he did. He said, you're going to serve 30. And when that 30 is done, you're going to serve another 30. And when that 60 is done, you're going to serve another 20. He ran them consecutive. 80 years, that's a long time. But what alternative did he have? So 
the question, what's the rationale for sentencing someone to a term of years rather than, say, life? Uh, life is not an option in 99% of the sentences. I mean, even if even if you sentence someone to 900 years, you still have to say 900 years. You can't say life because life is not the proper sentence. So I know that sounds confusing, but if you really intend for someone to never get out of prison, then you have to run their sentences consecutively and, and if it's not a life, uh, if life is not an option. You have to, I'll give you one more example, not that anybody asked, but back in the old days in South Carolina, not only did not did life not mean life, you could be sentenced, you could be on trial for your life in a death penalty case and have one juror vote for life, which means you get life, and you could, in theory, be parole eligible after 20 or 30 years. And these are in the worst of the worst. Susan Smith will be parole eligible at some point because the law changed after she committed. And for those of you who don't remember Susan Smith, she drowned her two sons. She will be parole eligible. So part of it is the legislative bodies need to fix the sentencing. Part of it is we do need truth in sentencing. When you sentence somebody to 100 years, I think people would be shocked if someone's eligible for parole after 20. But when you see these big numbers, it's because life was not an option. You can't make up the word life. Every one of these crimes carries a number, not a word. Now, life is a word. I think in South Carolina, it may be, what, burglary, maybe kidnapping and murder. Those are the three for which you can get life. The rest, you got to come up with a number. And if you don't want the person to get out, the number better be pretty big. So, yes, no, nobody's going to live to be 900 years except maybe Methuselah. I don't even think he lived 900 years. But if you don't want the person getting out of jail, you got to come up with a big number because of the way sentences are calculated. Well, thank you so much, Trey, for answering that question. And thank you, listeners, for the questions. You know what? One time I, w I wish you would do, Mary Langston. What is that? I wish you would not thank me for answering the question. I wish you would say that is the longest, most boring answer I have ever heard to a question. And I regret, I regret the no. role that I played in having it asked. Just no, not once. at all. Not at all. It's like we're in a college class. You're teaching us. But how fun would that be for the listeners, all of whom don't even think you're a real person? <laughs> they think you're a computer. They don't. Oh, they, no. They don't I hope think they think I'm a real person. No, they don't. They think, well, nobody can be that nice, that that she's not a real person. That's like a computer, something <laughs> or another you created. Oh, no. So we can prove to them that you are a real person if just once you would say, <laughs> well, I can't thank you for that question because I quit listening about 30 minutes ago and I have no idea how that story ended. Well, I'm not sure if that's possible. So I guess we'll have to stay in that lane, but I promise I'm a real person. <laughs> Okay, you still won't do it, e even if I it can't. means proving to the whole world that you are an actual living, <laughs> breathing human being. You still won't say, gosh, I wish I'd never asked that question. No, because it wouldn't be true. Oh, my heavens. <laughs> okay, for everyone who asked me, is she real? Mm, not really. No. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> yes, I am real. All righty. Well, I hope you uh, have a great week going around spreading cheer and goodness and happiness to everybody that you come in contact <laughs> with. And I'm going to continue to be my reclusive, cynical self watching college <laughs> sports. Okay, deal. And we're gonna we're deal, and we're gonna hope that your teams make you happy this coming week. Uh, well, we got a couple of big games, so I I need to run the table uh, to be to be happy. Mm. Uh, and and we shall see we shall see you will uh you'll be here you'll be over here sunday night you'll be able to tell immediately probably mm -hmm. that uh, is right we're gonna hope for the best by what's broken and what's not broken in the house <laughs> you'll be able to tell whether south carolina and dallas won <laughs> oh no well we're gonna hope for a good week and we hope that y'all have a great week as well all righty you take care of yourself okay yes sir y'all have a great week Thank you all. Keep the questions coming. All righty. Bye-bye. Please subscribe, rate, or review this podcast on Apple Podcast or at foxnewspodcast.com. You've been listening to the Trey Gowdy Podcast on the Fox News Podcast Network. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.